So on Sunday mornings, we're going through Mark's gospel, not looking at everything, but concentrating on uh, gospel texts, uh, what uh, brings us uh, to uh, Jesus Christ. And we're in Mark chapter 12. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the last week of his earthly ministry, and he's teaching in the temple. And what we have in chapter 12 are the religious leaders, different ones, coming to him with questions. And they weren't asking questions because they were genuinely inquisitive. Now, there are people, and maybe someone is here this morning, you've got uh, real questions about Christianity. Well, these religious leaders were asking trick questions. They were trying to trap Jesus Christ so that they would have something against him. And we're going to look at some of these questions in the next uh, Sunday morning services. So the question I want us to consider this morning is the one in the reading. So if you've got a Bible, look at verses 13 to 17 in Mark chapter 12, where you've got the Pharisees. They were the really religious and strict people. Uh, we would call them hardliners today. They were really sound. They were really uh, righteous in their outward lifestyle. And they join with the Herodians. The Herodians were the opposites. They were worldly, not really religious, and they were political. Uh, they hated uh, the Roman kind of uh, tyranny over uh, the people of God, over Israel. And both of them joined together, isn't that interesting, uh, in opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we want to look is at their question. Uh, they asked a hot potato question, which was about the poll tax. Now, those of you who are of a certain age will remember Margaret Thatcher's government uh, in the late 80s introducing the poll tax. And it was a really controversial thing. And I was in school at the time, and I can remember the riots that occurred in Trafalgar Square over the poll tax. It seemed so unfair. Well, imagine these people now, uh, and it was a really hot potato subject. Why should we pay to live in our own country? Why should we pay the Romans uh, to live in our own land? And so this is the trick question. If Jesus answered, uh, they, they put it like this. Um, should we pay taxes to Caesar? So if Jesus says no, and I think they were expecting him to say that we shouldn't, because that's what the people would want to hear, then he would be in trouble with the Roman authorities. Now then, these religious leaders, they wanted to put Jesus to death. Judaism didn't have the death penalty in Jesus' day. They couldn't execute a person. So, this is the trick here. If they could have him condemned by the Roman authorities, they would execute him for being a revolutionary. Isn't that clever? So they were hoping he would say, no, don't pay this poll tax. But if he would say, yes, pay it, he would then... Uh, kind of lose his credibility with all the Jewish people. What a question. What a question. 
And we know the answer that Jesus gives, and we're going to come to it in a minute. It's one of the most famous statements Jesus ever made. He asks for a Roman coin, a denarius, and those of you, I think, who were in Friday Night Live, Nigel Council uh, brought a denarius to show you. Um, I didn't want to uh, borrow it this morning in case I dropped it into the baptistry. (laughs) And he asks them whose image is on that coin, and they say what they didn't want to say. They mentioned Caesar's. And then Jesus makes the immortal statement, which even non-Christians agree is one of the most profound legal statements ever made. Render, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Now then, I I wanted to come to that answer in a moment, but I want to look first at these religious people. I know there are many people put off Christianity today because they say we're all hypocrites. Is that your reason for not wanting to come to church? The church, you say, is full of hypocrites. And Jesus partly agrees with you. Because he calls these religious leaders, he calls them hypocrites. Uh, Look at verse 15. Knowing their hypocrisy. Well, he didn't call them here hypocrites. Later on, he calls them hypocrites. But knowing their hypocrisy. Now, what's hypocrisy? Uh, hypocrisy is putting a mask on uh, it comes from a Greek word and the Greeks liked their plays and in Greek theatre uh, the actors would put a mask on and that's what hypocrisy is what we are on the outside is not what we are on the inside and these people they look look at what they say teacher we know that you are true And care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. What hypocrisy. They, on the outside, give the impression that they're really uh, revering Jesus Christ. But what are they doing inside, in their hearts? They're trying to murder him. What hypocrisy. Um, King David, he had to fight with religious hypocrites. Do you know what he said? He said of the hypocrite, his speech is as smooth as butter, but war is in his heart. His words are softer than oil, but they are drawn swords. Oh, is there anybody here this morning? Maybe you've been damaged by so-called Christians who are hypocrites. You see on the outside, they're putting on this mask, this religious mask. But actually, they are doing things in private that some people who are not Christians wouldn't dream of doing. That's hypocrisy. Uh, One of my favorite books, as you know, is Pilgrim's Progress. Have you read Pilgrim's Progress? After reading the Chronicles of Narnia, read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And there's a character in Pilgrim's Progress who's called... Mr. Talkative, Mr. Talkative. And Bunyan does this little poem about Mr. Talkative. How talkative at first lift up his plumes like a peacock. Have you seen a peacock? Lift up his plumes. How brave doth he speak. How he presumes to drive down all before him. But so soon 
as faithful talks of heart work, like the moon that passed the full into the wane he goes. Are you talkative? All talk, but no hearts. My friend, it's not your talk that God is interested in. You must walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Um, I'm looking back now at my Christian life. You're not born a Christian. You have to become a Christian. I was converted in university 30 years ago, and I can look back on my Christian life. And I'm not saying this as a judgment, but I can remember so many people who had so much talk they were so spectacular in their profession of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of the Christian Union in Aberystwyth, where I was saved. I'm thinking of CU presidents, of CU prayer leaders. And they were so impressive. They were all talk. They're nowhere now. Nowhere. God isn't interested in our display. He's interested in reality. What's your heart like before God? You know, can I go into detail here? You may feel, Pastor, my heart is hard. I don't feel much love to Jesus Christ. When I hear about his love, as we'll be remembering after the service on the cross, dying instead of me, I don't deserve it. Oh, my heart's is so, so hard. You're not a hypocrite, my friend. It's not hypocrisy to feel hard-hearted. We, we bemoan that. We bemoan that. Um, Tony mentioned love-wise. Um, a lot of young Christians struggle with internet pornography. And even if we don't struggle with internet pornography, I think if you're below a certain age whether you're a Christian or not, you struggle with internet pornography. Let's get rid of uh, the mask. But even if you're above a certain age, you're going to struggle with all sorts of things. You're still going to struggle with lust. It's not just young Christians who struggle with lust. You're going to struggle with gossip. You're going to struggle with anger. My friend, it's not hypocrisy to struggle with those things. That's not the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy is the mask that we put on and this public face that we have where we give the impression that actually a Christian doesn't have those struggles. That's the hypocrisy. Uh, have you ever seen, again, I'm showing my age here, have you ever seen the sitcom Keeping Up Appearances? Have you seen Keeping Up Appearances? What's the name of that lady? Mrs. Bouquet or somebody? Uh, and she's got a display of uh, a past life. It's all, as the title says, keeping up appearances. Are you put off church? Because you're thinking of the church as a bunch of people who are keeping up appearances. I know I'm in a suit this morning, and I'm in a suit because what I'm doing is important. But, oh... Woe betide if our Christianity is simply putting on our Sunday best on one day of the week and then for the rest of the week we're living just like the world lives. That's hypocrisy. The Pharisees, the Herodians. Is it me? Is it you? 
Are we real? I don't want to come to church to mind my P's and Q's. I'm coming to church because I'm a sinner. That's why I'm here. And I'm sure many of you are here because of that as well. Uh, we've got in our supplement a hymn translated from the Welsh, uh, Thomas William. And he wasn't a hypocrite. He struggled. He struggled. And, you know, when he prayed, he felt, oh, who am I to pray before a holy God if I fall into sin? That's not a hypocrite, my friend. We feel like that. That's not hypocrisy. That's reality. And he says, before thy throne approaching, but from afar in shame, I'm coming as a sinner. Is that you? I have no other name. We're not a bunch of goody two-shoes here this morning. If that's Christianity, I'm with you. I don't want anything to do with it. We're a bunch of sinners. Let's be honest. We've got our struggles, whether it's lust or whether it's something else. But I don't want to stop there. We're saved sinners. And you can be one as well. And even as saved sinners, we're still sinners. We're still a work in progress. So, I don't want religious hypocrites in this place. I don't want to be one myself. I, I want to be honest. God wants you to take off the mask and admit that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. Don't you love him? Because he came to save a sinner like you. Hypocrisy. That's the first thing. And then the next thing. Let's look at the statement here. Uh, Jesus is saying two things. Um, on a Roman dinner... Am I saying it right? Denari? Is denari the singular or is it denarius? Whatever. On this Roman coin, Jesus is asking, whose image is on it? In the Bible world, if somebody's image was on something, it meant that it belonged to them. Um, so if I show you my passport, I haven't got it this morning, my image is on it, it proves that passport belongs to me. And if um, you look at the coin Nigel has got, uh, it says on it, uh, well, it said on the one that Jesus asked uh, to see, Tiberius Caesar, son of, listen to this, son of the divine Augustus. Caesar claimed to be God. I don't think Donald Trump claims to be God, or Vladimir Putin, or Kim. Caesar claimed to be God. And what does Jesus say? He says two things, and we're going to look at this uh, statement now. Firstly, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying is this. If you're a Christian, you don't say, I'm not going to bother with society. I'm not going to bother paying taxes. I know Christians, they don't, they don't pay their taxes. They say, we belong to Jesus Christ. We don't need to pay our taxes. No, no, says Jesus. 
Every one of us, whether we're Christians or, or whether we're not, has a responsibility to the states. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I read Romans 13. God has put Caesar's in place. The authorities are of God. If we're serving God, we're going to be good citizens in society. Now, I don't want to look in detail at the rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's uh, this morning, because it's not my concern as a preacher. I want to preach the gospel. But I, I just want to give some examples. When Paul wrote Romans, do you know who the Caesar was? He was Nero. Nero. Have you heard of the Emperor Nero? He fiddled while Rome burnt. And he blamed it on the Christians, whereas it was Nero who probably set Rome on fire. What a horrible man. Do you know what Nero did to Christians? He crucified them. Do you know what Nero was? A tyrant, a dictator. He's in the same category as um, Stalin, Hitler, Pol Pot. A horrible man. Do you know what Roman society condoned? Infantilism. Do you know what that means? Putting to death children, not unborn children, but children that were born and were not wanted. They were just discarded under bridges. Do you know what was prevalent in Roman society? The same things that are happening in our society today, but much worse. We're going back to a Greco-Roman society rather than a Christian heritage. What I'm saying is this. Here is a society that was much more immoral than our country is at this moment. And Jesus is saying, you've still got to be good citizens and you've still got to obey those in authority. It's hard, isn't it? Now, if those people in authority tell me to disobey what God has told me to do, I can't obey. But we don't use guilt by association as a reason not to obey. Can I just give you some examples before moving on to rendering unto God? That's what I really want to get to. Um, have you seen The Crown on Netflix? Uh, in the third season, uh, there is the investiture of Prince Charles. The Crown is a drama on the royal family. And Prince Charles, uh, before he had his investiture in Carnarvon Castle, he had to learn some Welsh. So Prince Charles uh, was a student in Aberystwyth in the same hall of residence that I was in. And they've still got in Pantacellan Hall of Residence in Aberystwyth what they call the Royal Suite, which is where Prince Charles stayed. And this is not in Netflix, but I know for a fact that one of the people responsible for teaching Welsh to Prince Charles was Professor Bobby Jones. Uh, Bobby Jones was a Christian. He's in heaven now. He was a godly man, very unassuming, but he was also a Welsh nationalist. He felt strongly about Wales. And yet, he was willing to teach Prince Charles Welsh. That's interesting, isn't it? 
his personal convictions would have been very different to the prince's. But here he was rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. As a Christian, he wants to be a good citizen. So he's ready to rise above his feelings and his convictions and teach the future king the language of heaven. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I don't know whether you are left-wing or right-wing. It's not my place in the pulpit to tell you what I am. But whether it's left or right, you and I have got to render unto those in authority. If you're put off by Christianity because you see how religion and Christianity get mixed up, it's horrible, isn't it? And how all sorts of violence is condoned then in the name of Christianity. Oh, my friends, I want to say... Christianity isn't about hypocrisy and it isn't about mixing religion and politics in that way. It's, a, it's about good citizens. It's about people who are not trying to polarise. There's too much of that in our society today. Oh, a real Christian like Professor Bobby Jones will be unassuming, will be a good citizen, a good neighbour. Don't you want to become one? That's real Christianity. It's rare, isn't it? But that's the reality. Um, one of my favourite Christian writers, again, he's in glory. A lot of my friends are dead, you see. A.W. <laughs> Tozer, A.W. Tozer. He was converted as a young man. And do you know what he did after he was converted? As a, a teenager, he used to ride on the trains, or was it the trams, without paying for a ticket. And do you know what he did after he was converted? As soon as he was saved, he wrote to the train or the tram office and he said I have been converted I have become a Christian and I have been convicted that I was wrong to ride on your transport without paying so here is the payment he wrote a letter apologizing and Tozer said the people that read it probably thought he was a crank but let's be religious cranks in that sense if people see that we're different. Who are these people who are so kind, who are so good in the right way, not in a hypocritical way? Oh, my friends, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, even if you think the Caesar is completely wrong, as long as he doesn't command you to do what God says you should do. Render, render. Can I read J.C. Ryle? So long as we have liberty to worship God in Christ according to our conscience and to serve him in the way of his commandments, we may safely submit to many requirements of the state, which in our private opinion we do not thoroughly approve of. Oh, isn't it true in churches often we allow our private opinions, not just in politics, but in other areas. We allow them to have the preeminence. Oh, if we're Christ, we want to rise above that and bow to him. Now then, I'm not interested in render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I've mentioned it in passing. As I want to finish on the big thing. And unto God the things that are God's. My friend... The church 
isn't about politics. My friend, the church isn't even about social activities. We do that in society. The church is about the things of God. Uh, one person says, let Caesar be Caesar. They're appointed of God. Let the church of Jesus Christ be the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, what, what are the things of God? Uh, think of the coin. The image of Caesar on the coin. What's the image of God? Do you know what the image of God is in you and me? When God created this world, he created it perfect. When he created man, he created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the Garden of Eden in paradise. And what was the image of God in our first parents? What is it? It's the soul. We're bodies this morning, but we're souls. The spirit part of us, this is the soul. Caesar, if I can put it like this, is responsible for the body. We need good governments to give us law and order. We need good governments uh, to provide uh, uh, care in our society. Uh, the NHS, what a blessing to live in a country uh, with a welfare state. They are all there to look after the mind and the body. But they can't provide anything for the soul. That's what the church is for. The soul, my soul, is going to last forever. Oh, my friend, uh, it doesn't matter how often you may go to the gym. Don't people look after their bodies today? In many ways, the gym is the new church. There's nothing wrong in going to the gym. But isn't it futile? You build your muscles as your body decays. We're just waiting for the hammer to fall. Law and order, they have their place, but they just contain sin. They can't change a person. The National Health Service, with all its blessings, won't stop you from dying. We still have to die. The soul. Uh, we had a preacher come to the Welsh Christian Union in Aberystwyth. His name was Morris Morris. What a name. Morris, Morris. That's a Welsh name for you, isn't it? And you know what he would do? He, <laughs> I can remember, I won't mention his name, but there was a student at the Theolcol in Aberystwyth and he didn't really believe the gospel, right? And Morris, Morris was going up to him afterwards. This student who was studying theology, who was studying Greek and all that, and Morris, Morris just goes up to him and asks him, how is your soul? <laughs> And this poor chap was just looking, not knowing what to say. How is your soul? How is your soul? How is my soul? How are things between you and God? The things that are God's. We can get so excited, can't we, about the Christian and politics. The Christian and this, the Christian and that. And there's nothing wrong with it in its place. But what about the things that are God's? William Wilberforce, who did so much to abolish slavery, he admitted that he had neglected the things of the soul. The soul will last forever. The things that are seen are temporal. It's the things that are not seen 
that are eternal. A soul. I don't know how much money people spend on these ancient coins. You'll have to ask Nigel. They're priceless. That's why I'm afraid to use it in the pulpits. They're nothing in value compared to one soul. Do you agree? What's the most expensive thing you've got? Do you know what's the thing in your house or in your garage that you are most protective of? A physical thing. Let me tell you, it's nothing compared to your soul. You know how expensive something is in terms of how much a person is willing to pay for it. Uh, You know, people are willing to travel great distances to acquire something because it's so priceless. Oh, the value of a soul, soul. Uh, I'm trying to think now uh, of William Carey. Uh, William Carey, one of the first missionaries to India. Do you know what he was before he became a missionary? He was a teacher, a geography teacher. That's good, isn't it? A geography teacher. And he would be going around this globe with his pupils, telling them about the different countries of the world. And when he'd come to some countries, he would be telling these children, but, oh, the poor people in these countries, they've never heard about Jesus Christ. And you know what would happen? He would be weeping tears of concern because he had a burden for the souls of those people. And he was ready, and I'm thinking of other missionaries, they were ready to travel And they weren't traveling on cruises in those days. They traveled in great danger and distress to far-flung places. They endured so many things. They lost wives and children. Why? Because they saw that souls, immortal souls, were at stake. Uh, Wynne and Angela are doing sterling work in West Wales, going around the farms, telling people about their souls, about this lover of souls that Jesus Christ is. And Wynne was sharing with us this morning about one man that they have been seeing and how Wynne was able to tell this man about Jesus Christ and how Wynne heard that this man had been found dead. The soul. Leaving the body, going into eternity. Death is not the end. Death is separation. The soul, do you know where you're going? The things that are God's. Let let me say, this is the gospel. As, As I'm coming to a conclusion, we've got communion. How much value God has put on your soul. How far Jesus Christ came to purchase your soul and mine. He left the glory. He didn't just travel uh, across the world. He left heaven and came down into this sin-sick world. And you know what he said in one of his parables? The parable of the lost sheep. For one lost soul, he would have come. Isn't that amazing? For one lost sinner. How much value does God put upon a soul? Oh, what did he pay 
for buying our souls from a lost eternity in order to purchase them for an eternal heaven? What did he pay to save our souls from sin and to make them reconciled to God? What was the price? Oh, it's not silver and gold. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap. It costs the Son of God his life. His blood. Oh, teach me the things that are God's. Oh, teach me what it meaneth. That cross uplifted high with one the man of sorrows condemned to bleed and die. Oh, teach me what it cost thee to make one sinner whole. Teach me, Saviour, Teach me the value of a soul. Our souls are lost when we're born. Our souls, there's still something of the image of God, but it's been, it's been mad. Have you been to Chepstow on the Wye Valley Walk by the race course? There's Piercefield. Have you seen Piercefield? It's a, a manor house, but it's in ruins. You can see something of the glory of the manor house. But it's in ruins. And you can't even go in. It's condemned. There's a fence around it. And it's a bit like that with the soul. We're in ruins. Oh, there's something of God's beauty and glory. But we're ruined. We're condemned. And what, oh, what Jesus Christ did in coming into this world was to go to that cross and take the punishment for your sin and mine. And that happened 2,000 years ago. And what he does in time. This is what happened to me in Aberystwyth. This is what has happened to people here. This is Christianity. It's not putting a religious face on. It is God by his spirit invading a person's soul. And willingly that person bowing the knee. It's not a cult. It's not forced. It's the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, becoming the owner. Have you seen these makeover programs? They're so encouraging to watch aren't they but i'm more encouraged with what god does to a lost soul transforming it oh think of this disparate group of disciples how pathetic they are fishermen tax collectors falling failing and yet this small group turned caesar's world upside down that's the work of jesus transforming lost souls into something wonderful he can do it to you you know this is the lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes wales why has wales got so many chapels most of them are empty why because the spirit moved in revival and you know what happened 100 or so years ago 1904-05 jesus invaded lost souls and changed them for the better do you know there were less, I think there were no court cases in some places in 1904-05. Not because people had decided to be all goody and nice and all that religious thing. It's because Jesus Christ had saved them and was transforming them. I think in one book on 0405, I was there. That's the title. I was there. And I think it's in that book. A little boy or a little girl is asked, how do you know that Jesus has come into your house? What difference has it made? And they, they, they would say, well, there's food on the table now. 
Our father isn't spending his money on alcohol. He's not getting drunk every night. There's food on the table. We're clothed. Oh, that's how society changes. We don't legislate. Yes, government does, but we don't. Jesus changes people. I'm thinking of Moldova, the houses we're supporting in Moldova. Oh, this is God's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Think of those poor people brought up in a Soviet-style institution, orphanage. Terrible condition. Some of them treated like animals. And what has God enabled some people to do? Oh, he's put his love into their hearts, causing them to rescue those people from those horrible institutions and putting them into houses. Oh, the transformation. Isn't that a picture of the amazing transformation the Son of God does? The love of Jesus towards lost souls and taking us out of this pit of sin, this institution of Satan, and putting us in the church. Oh, Jesus didn't come to create a Christian nation. No, no. There's no th- such thing as a Christian country. Jesus saves people from different countries. And the church is a new humanity. Oh, my friend, I've got to stop. I'm uh, aware we've got communion. But the things that are God's. If I've got a broken leg, I don't go to the church. I go to hospital. If I've got a broken soul that needs not just repairing, but saving... This is the place. May this church be a place where the things that are God's are preached and talked about. How is your soul? How, how, how is your soul? I'm not interested in your body. How is your soul? I'm not interested in how things are, whether you're prospering or not. How are you prospering spiritually? Do you know what the Puritans called Sunday? You know, I hated Sunday as a child. I hated going to chapel. I hated putting on my Sunday best. I hated Sunday lunch. I hated the quietness of the day. But when I was saved, I loved it. Because it was the market day, as the Puritan said, for the soul. And isn't this something for our souls? Is your soul being fed this morning? I'm not here to give you a lecture. I'm not here to stimulate the mind. I've got to address the mind. I'm not here to entertain you. I can't entertain a fly. I'm here under God to bring food for your souls. Don't you want to be spiritually fed? Or may our Sundays be red-letter days for the soul. I can see the clock And I can see the time going. Uh, I know the things of God are eternal, but that doesn't mean uh, we should be going on uh, without any time limits. But render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but unto God the things that are God's. Give your soul to Jesus Christ. He will save you. And then give yourself to serve him in society. But the things that are God's are what really matter for his namesake.